Okay, so hopefully third time's a charm here, folks. And now where was I before I was so rudely interrupted for the second time? Who knows? Um, anyway, back to the Tribune. Speculative NFT mania crosses paths with the book world by way of doom. Now, those of you who don't know what an NFT is, it's a non-fungible token. Now, I thought it was not a fucking thing. Boom, boom, boom. Which is an old doctor joke, you know. <clears throat> when people used to come in complaining of fibromyalgia or something, some docs would write a prescription for NFT. And you talk to the pharmacist and say, what's NFT? It's not a fucking thing. What we call a placebo. But actually, non-fungible token is, uh, you know, maybe quasi-liken uh, a placebo. I don't know. But you may have read, read that this Beeple guy, who, which is not his real name, created a montage of sorts of photos every day for 10 years, some photo of his experience. And he sold the NFT for that for $69 million. $69 million out of nothing, right? Now, it took him 10 years to put it together, okay. But it is a very, very, very uh, elusive concept. So I'm just going to quote from this Biblio, Biblioracle by John Warner for the Chicago Trib, who says, Previously, I had made a personal pledge never to learn anything about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, but two things happened recently to break that pledge and take a closer look. Thing one... NFTs making a splash in the book world. News of a cryptocurrency collected paying 100 times the value for a rare book version of Frank Herbert's, I think it's Herbert, Dune moved through the press. Thing two, I uh, was watching the new Beanie Babies documentary, Beanie Baby, Beanie Mania on HBO Max, which I have not seen. First, for those like me who are mystified by this stuff, a quick explainer on NFTs that is gleaned from reading as much as I could bear, but <laughs> also uh, caveat emptor, I'm no expert. When I was in college, it seemed like every third dorm room had a poster version of Gustav Klimt's favorite, famous painting, The Kiss. Well, clearly he didn't go to Marquette. Of course, no one confused these posters with the real thing hanging in a gallery in Austria. They were kind of a copy, a thing that referenced the genuine article. In the digital space, prior to NFTs, there'd been no way to determine which version of a file is the original and which is the copy. There's no such thing as a rare copy of an ebook because every digital copy is identical. It's as if you could swap out a poster of the kiss for the original and no one could tell the difference. Somehow, in the technical necromancy behind this remains beyond me, but I believe the people who say so, blockchain technology makes it so that you can designate one digital file as an original and everything else a copy. The result is the ability to make digital objects that are as scarce as real-world objects. 
people were surprised when a cryptocurrency consortium named Spice DAO. And DAO stands for Distributed Access Object, I think. Paid $3 million for one of the pitch books that Avantgarde film director Alejandro Jodorowsky had created for his ultimately aborted mid-1970s attempt at a film version of Herbert's science fiction classic, Dune. The pitch book is rare and estimated to be worth thirty dollars to $40,000, but the purchasing consortium paid much more because they had big plans. They would digitize the book, make an animated series derived from the book, and then burn the physical copy. Burn it? They thought they had something scarce that they could make scarcer, like the spice in Herbert's novel. Burning the book seems to have fallen by the wayside, thankfully, since there are only a handful of copies of Jodorowsky's artifact. Unfortunately for the purchasers, buying a book is not the same as buying the copyright to a book. Just because I have Star Wars on DVD doesn't mean I can make my own sequel. It's a bit of a silly story about some folks whose enthusiasm and big plans got out of control, wrapping up a bunch of like-minded enthusiasts into a scheme that fell apart. This is the same story as Beanie Mania, which is a local guy, by the way, uh, which highlights a number of the figures who participated in the Beanie Baby collectibles craze largely centered in the mid-90s Chicago area. The allure of the little plush toys was in their scarcity, artificially jiggered by the tie company. And he has a park like out in Westman called an eponymous park named after him. I forget his last name. Some of these participants believed that the worth of Beanie Babies could only go up. You know, and no tree goes to the sky. This so often happens. Many learned otherwise when the value of their collections plummeted. So it's just the old Dutch tulip stand scandal, you know, bubble. It's possible that a clever and enterprising writer will figure out how to exploit NFTs and the blockchain to their benefit, and if they do, that's great. And I hope to, because <laughs> I need to make something out of nothing, because I got a whole lot of nothing right now. But also, I wonder about a world in which so much energy is going toward creating scarce things traded by the ultra-wealthy over digital networks rather than figuring out how to support art and artists in the spirit of abundance. Abundanza. Well, that's it. So, I'm going to keep that because it is perhaps helpful in understanding that whole NFT craze. And, you know, it's a bubble. I mean, it's obviously a bubble, but people make money on bubbles. So, anyway, now we go to the Week magazine. Wait, let's stick with the trip. We got more trip. Now, here's an article which I was all ready to hate, but um, ended up not hating. It's from Arts and Entertainment from February 6th, and the title is Putting a Price on a Life. After a suicide attempt and a pile of medical bills, an Evanston writer takes on the healthcare business and cost of living. Now, the reason I was ready to hate it is, you know, if you try to kill yourself and fail and then you complain about the medical bills, 
you know, I mean, I do have sympathy for people who have suicidal ideation because if it's too painful and you don't lack, you lack the courage to face life, that's sad, right? So she was kind of a weirdo in high school. I can kind of relate. And she ended up killing herself. And then she obviously didn't succeed. And she started to get this slew of bills. And she thought to herself, suicide should be cheaper. Well, it, it can be if you, obviously, if you succeed. And, but then, you know, she went on and wrote a book about it cost of living, which is about the cost of surviving a suicide attempt, then maybe that would discourage people. I don't know. But she does a lot of stuff. Um, you know, so it's good that she lived on. She has worked as a pastry chef, dog groomer, general contractor, tile setter, catalog model, sold ceramics at art fairs, um, trains horses, worked as a medical publications manager for healthcare agencies, including um, Lundberg and Takeda, which are not agencies, they're pharmaceutical companies. So she's a medical writer. So I should probably add her on LinkedIn, you know, because I'm trying to put together a writing agency. And um, she had been diagnosed with bipolar, but then after her attempt, she was diagnosed with nonverbal learning disability. She learned how to behave, not just until later in life. She talks fast and thinks slow, and that made sense to her. She also had thyroid problems and a vitamin deficiency. She swallowed a bottle of lithium. And if she had been taken to a different hospital, she would have had no debt if she was declared indigent. Instead, 10 years, she's been paying down her bills by 25 a month. And then she eventually got a call from a collection agency. And they said, oh, you know what? This is so old, it's not collectible. So, <laughs> so there is a certain... Kafka-esque absurdity to that situation. But uh, I'm keeping that, too. So, you know, uh, sometimes don't judge an article by the headline because it, it turned out that the solution to her suicidal ideation was found in a correct diagnosis. So, anyway. Now, uh, moving right along on a different, on an entirely different subject as Monty Python used to say. Now for something completely different. This is from today's Tribune. Police clear truck protesters from Canada Capitol streets. Now I'm not particularly sympathetic with these truckers who shut down bridges and such and, you know, siege, laid siege to the Capitol. Remember there was talk that this would be done on Super Bowl weekend here, but it didn't happen. Um, but, you know, what they did is they sent in cops in riot gear and they confiscated assets of the funding organizations. And I, you know, I mean, I think that's fine. These people are breaking the law and they're damaging commerce and they're ups disturbing the peace and everything else. But 
This is a little reminder for our own authorities on how to handle protesters. And it is hard to envision this same approach being taken if the cause was different and if the complexion of the protesters was different. So I say what's good for one is good for the other. If you're going to treat protesters like that, fine. Let's treat them all like that, though. And that I'm throwing away. And I bet you dimes to dollars we won't. And when I say we, I use it very loosely because if I ruled the world, we would. Now, this is from, uh, there was good news today, by the way, um, on the confrontation with Putin and Russia over Ukraine. The French seem to have brokered some kind of a summit deal, which should at least buy some time and give Putin a fig leaf to climb down if he so desires. But um, this is an article from The Week magazine, November 12, which I hadn't gotten around to discussing. Europe has put itself at Russia's mercy because they refuse to develop their own fuel resources, carbon particularly, the, the whole anti-nuke, uh, anti-carbon movement in Europe, it causes wars, okay? Um, and a note, another note here I have is free trade is at risk when economics are mixed in with politics. And in this case, the politics are the whole climate change maneuver. I mean, if you're buying into this whole global warming climate change thing, you don't. And TV just started up again. You don't, you know, switch from carbon fossil to nothing. Because if you do, you'll freeze to death. You stand up your uh, non low emissions power, and then you gradually phase out your emissions problems. But no, people think it's such a crisis, we've got to do it before we're ready to make a transition, which is nuts. It puts you at the mercy of the people like Putin, who could care less, and Iran, who could care less about emissions and global warming. So, there are worse things than climate change. That's my point. Now, here's from Wit and Wisdom. The necessary has never been man's top priority. The passionate pursuit of the non-essential and the extravagant is one of the chief traits of human uniqueness. So said Eric Hoffer. And that's sure true. People get health insurance, or people don't get health insurance, and they get purses and plastic surgery. I've seen it with my own two blue eyes. Henry David Thoreau said, Explore your own higher latitudes. Live your best life. Be your best self. That kind of thing. That's probably going out on my LinkedIn. That's the kind of thing you want to say out there. I have a persona for business and a persona for you. Oh, by the way, um, 
Anybody who's going to the DePaul Marquette game, the home game at the Wintrust Pavilion, my new bank, let me know. Like to connect. Usually the Evan Scholars do something, but I don't think that's happening anymore because of COVID. I have started calling the pandemic the damn-demic, by the way. Year three here, folks. Now, here's from clergyman and abolitionist Henry Ward Beecher, quoted in the Montreal Gazette. A man without mirth is like a wagon without springs in which one is caused to jolt disagreeably by every pebble over which it runs. That's what we call microaggressions in 21st century woke speak. I wonder how Mr. Beecher would feel about the world he inadvertently created. Says cartoonist Bill Watterson, the truth is most of us discover where we are headed when we arrive. <laughs> That's for sure. Mostly to hell in a handbasket, I would add. George Burns. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> now, here's a poll watch. This is what makes me think that we're right on the verge of schism here as a country. 62% of Americans say they will trust the results of the 2024 election even if their candidate loses. 82% of Democrats, only 33% of Republicans. 86% of Democrats and 60% of Independents have a great deal or a good amount of trust in elections. Just 34% of Republicans agree. 75% of Republicans believe that in 2020 there were real cases of fraud that changed the results. So it's interesting because you still have a majority of Americans that trust elections. And 82% of Democrats do. If that stays stable, then maybe we're okay. <clears throat> if it changes, pick, your, pick a side. Noted under talking points, a large-scale study found that a third dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine led to 95.6% efficacy in preventing symptomatic COVID infection. In Israel, people who've received a booster, Pfizer-BioNTech, have been infected at a rate more than 10 times lower than those who didn't get a booster, according to a study published in the pinnacle of respectability, the New England Journal of Medicine. This was reported in the Wall Street Journal. This dates back to November 12, too. Of course, that doesn't reflect the recent variants, which are scary. The coronavirus has killed more than 5 million people globally and caused nearly 250 million confirmed infections. The U.S. leads the world in coronavirus cases and deaths. We're number one with over 700,000, half of which have been under the Biden administration, which is very underreported, and nearly 46 million cases, which is roughly, it's over 10%. Probably 12. Followed by case counts in Brazil, India, Mexico, and Russia. And of course, the real measure is the percentage, and they don't give you those. 
Also noted, drivers drove their vehicles into protesters at least 139 times between late May 2020 and the end of September 2021, killing three people and injuring at least 100. And of course, we had that clown up in Waukesha, or Wauwatosa, who ran a bunch of people over in the Christmas parade. A nationwide analysis indicates that only 65 of the ramming cases led to any charges, with only four drivers convicted of felonies. Okay, now this is out of the uh, WARP magazine, which is good. It's an interview with Snoop Dogg, who is now 50, so he's an AARP member. I'm surprised he lived that long. Now, what the Snoop Dogg says is you got to treat yourself like fine wine. They say fine wine, it get better over time. And he has actually released two wines under his name. So you can buy, it's the Dog Father. Oh, wait, no, they call him the Dog Father. He's still doing rap, though. This guy makes money hand over fist. Now, here's an article for the Tribune real estate section. I had heard that, I read this and I checked it out with my realtor. And the article argues that uh, there is bias in appraisals of real estate. That even if you have a place like in Lincoln Park, if black people live in it, it gets appraised lower. Now, I heard a guy on CNBC say that too. And this guy's like, you know, makes me look like, like if I moved into his neighborhood, he'd move out. And he said that he had detected bias, and I didn't believe it. And then I read this article, and I still didn't believe it. And um, then I checked with my realtor, and he said, yeah, that happens. And it's like, that's crazy. I mean, if you, you know, in the old days on the south side, if, you know, you did an appraisal on a house where there was a blockbuster, yeah. You know, the value of that house just went down by 80% the minute the guy bought it and moved in. But that's not how it works in other areas anymore. I don't think that's how it works almost anywhere. Also real estate, if you're looking for cheap property, uh, there's a Cook County scavenger sale. They can't give some of these lots away. Like one of them's at 59th and Racine. Now, I am not going to be doing that. But... And I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I guess what it shows you, if you want affordable housing, crime's the best way to get it. Just make the neighborhood so dangerous, it's unlivable. So social justice and defund the police and, you know, progressive prosecution and affordable housing all fall into the same bucket, which is everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and now anybody can afford to live there, but nobody wants to. Brilliant. Now, there's also an article in the Tribune about transferring assets, and I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm going to read that on my own.
Okay, now back to the week. A new digital token. This is crypto. And crypto and me are not in the same sentence, General. A new digital token inspired by the hit series Squid Game soared by more than 23 million percent to 2,861 per coin before plummeting back down to a incredible thousandths of a percent. In a matter of minutes, the token's unknown creators took home 3.3 million in the appearance scheme. I wish I wasn't as ethical as I am, I'll tell you. I need to be less ethical and more technical to make a quick buck. U.S. GDP grew at a rate of 2% in the third quarter, well below an expected 2.6% as supply chain woes slowed personal consumption. The number is a sharp decline from the second quarter's 6.7% economic expansion. And again, this is back from November. 73% of CEOs say a labor skills shortage is the most likely external issue to disrupt their business in the next 12 months. Four out of five said they're offering increased remote work flexibility in an attempt to retain and attract talent. That may work in my favor. Because I got a face made for remote work. A study by researchers at Georgetown University found that at the inflation-adjusted costs of attending college rose 169% between 1980 and 2019. Over the, the same period of time, the earnings for workers ages 22 to 27 rose 19%. So in other words, you're paying a lot more to go to college and you're not making much more. The value of a college degree and the return on investment has dramatically decreased. Terrible. And what drives that price? Subsidies, student loans. Everything the government subsidizes experiences above inflation rates. It must be true, I read it in the tabloids, a 30-year-old man on house arrest in Italy found living at home with his wife so miserable that he begged police to put him in prison. The man, an Albanian living near Rome, walked into the local police station and confessed to intentionally breaking the house arrest he was under for drug crimes. He told a police captain, listen, my domestic life has become hell. I can't do it anymore. Jail is better. Police obligingly sent the man who has several years left on his sentence to prison. Domestic bliss. Now, in Cook County, they would have told him, hey, sorry. We are progressive prosecutors. We don't, put, we don't incarcerate people. No, no, no. Now here's a bizarro story under only in America. Some Americans who complied with vaccination mandates are now seeking ways to undo the shots. They're using baking soda baths, cupping, whatever that may be, and other methods to take nanotechnologies out of you is anti-vaxxer Dr. Carrie Medel, M-E-D-E-L, puts it. God knows what she's a doctor of. Virologist Dr. Angela Rasmussen said none of the treatments work, but the trend suggests a lot of people who previously were saying vaccines are terrible and I will never do it are actually doing it. <laughs> so they don't get fired. 
So you're doing these people a favor when you mandate it, right? And, you know, maybe you can give them a pill, like a uh, NFT, placebo pill, that, you know, kills the nanotechnology <clears throat> that they think is in it. You know. Now, here's an article. John Gruden is suing the NFL and its commissioners. Uh, when the, He got caught up in this investigation of... A former of the Washington football team, and they found a couple of negative emails. And uh, let's see who says this. His attorney says there's no explanation or justification for why Gruden's emails were the only ones made public out of the 650,000 emails collected in the NFL's investigation. And somehow I think, well, certainly the Raiders are now the favorite, you know, the fair-haired child of Roger Goodell, the commissioner. And I don't think Gruden is either, so. Now, there's an article in here which I won't go into which talks about who pays America's taxes and whether the rich pay their fair share, and I continue to believe that a flat tax, which Steve Forbes advocated for years, is the way to go and eliminate all the deductions and the gimmicks to the extent you can, then everybody pays the same share of their income. What's wrong with that? Well, a lot of people want to do that whole thing where, you know, the way to, the way to make everybody's boat equal is to sink everybody's boat and voyage to the bottom of the sea, right? <clears throat> it's a lot easier to humble the mighty than it is to elevate the humble. Now, what else is going on here? I don't recall what I was talking about here. Okay, here's for one of our listeners who's a Beatles geek. Show of the week, the Beatles get back. And this is on, what is it on? Disney, Disney Plus, when John, Paul, George, and Ringo gathered in early 1969 to record songs that would appear on their final two albums, a documentary crew captured 80, 57 hours of intimate footage, drawing from that mostly unseen material. Director Peter Jackson has created a three-night feast for Beatles fans. The 1970 film Let It Be captured growing rifts in the band. Jackson's edit leaves the tension in place but foregrounds foregrounds, that's a verb, the joy and creative energy that flowed on many days of recording. All of it builds to a rooftop concert shown in its entirety for the first time. So that started on uh, November 26th on Disney+, Plus, which I don't have, so I haven't seen. I presume my number one fan and Beatle fan has seen it. And if so, let me know how it was. If not... On the odd chance you didn't know about it, you got to go get Disney Plus, and hopefully it's on, you know, every five minutes. The bottom line under business, Walmart fell behind Home Depot in market value this week after shares in the home improvement retailer rose more than 40% for the year. Now, this is pre-collapse. Market cap for Home Depot in November was... 
409 billion compared to 401 million for Walmart. I suspect Walmart's in a lot better shape now than Home Depot. I could check that out, but you know, I don't get paid to do this. Uh, so I'm too lazy. Here's a tribute to Sam Hoff. Those of you who are long-standing NFL fans remember Sam Hoff, the fierce linebacker who became an NFL icon. As football began to rival baseball as America's number one sport in the 50s and 60s, Sam Hoff emerged as the NFL's menacing poster boy, playing for the New York Giants. The handsome and ferocious linebacker brought the kind of renown to defense that had once been the domain of quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. He was a terror in the greatest game ever played. The 58 championship showdown between the Giants and the Colts. Colts won 23-17 in overtime. He forced a fumble, blocked an attempted field goal. His fame reached new heights two years later when CBS wired him for sound for a Walter Cronkite narrated special, The Violent World of Sam Hoff. And here's one quote from a receiver. Don't hit me on the chin with your elbow. Do that again, you'll get a broken nose. Robert Lee Huff was his name, and he had no idea how he came to be called Sam. <laughs> He was from Morgantown, West Virginia. Naturally, his father was a coal miner. He stayed out of the coal mines by starring as a two-way lineman. Uh, was an All-American guard for West Virginia, drafted by the Giants. He had trouble fitting in. 6'1", 230. Too small for the defensive line, too slow to block. But when defensive coordinator Tom Landry installed a 4-3 scheme with three linebackers, Huff fit in perfectly as a middle linebacker, the defense's anchor. It was like I was born to play the position. 30 career interceptions, remembered for head-on duels with two of the game's greatest fullbacks, Jim Brown and Jim Taylor. Key figure in their 56 NFL championship. Then they traded him in 63 and beat his, his, his Washington team called the Redskins then beat the Giants 72 to 41 in 1966. Justice is done, Huff said. He retired in 69 and became a radio broadcaster for Washington. He bemoaned efforts to make the game less violent. When I hit you, I tried to hit you hard enough to hurt you. <laughs> That's the way the game should be played. <laughs> Now, here's a eulogy, or obituary, rather, for the Soviet news anchor who told comforting lies. Uh, he was the anchor on the, their main evening TV news shows, Vremya, Time, Igor Kirillov. He said, the hardest thing of all was to believe what I was reading out. <laughs> Which just goes to show you how you should deal with anything that comes out of Soviet or Russian, I should say, media. So that's it. I don't know how long this thing was between the three episodes, a trinity, a triumvirate, a trilogy. But uh, in any event, 
I didn't get any calls, so third time was a charm. Thank you for listening. Live long, prosper, and we will talk to you soon. And as I said, I'm going to be putting more stuff out on LinkedIn here because it kills two birds with one stone. So all the not safe for work stuff and stuff that nobody else would really care about, and you may not even care about, goes on here. And uh, all the kind of best best self-persona stuff goes on LinkedIn. So, And if they do a podcast option, I'll try that. But right now what they have is they do have live video, and they have uh, like clubhouse-type rooms where you can have a bunch of folks. It's kind of like talk radio, except you actually get to talk. So I might do one of those. I don't know. But... Uh, you know, you don't have a pure podcast where you just talk and people don't listen. So anyway, that is about the size of it. As I say, live long and prosper and stay safe and watch out for those new variants. And you may want to keep that mask or keep get that mask out of the mothballs until we know more. And let's hope we get to the other side of this. And hope to see you at that Marquette DePaul game, folks. Bye-bye.